Well, Peace Church, good morning. I also want to say good morning to those who are joining us in our venue downstairs. Also, hello to those who are in our gym. And of course, I want to say hello to those who are joining us online and in spirit. To everyone, I say, this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you are just joining us for the first time today or recently been joining us at Peace Church, welcome. I just, I'm so excited to see and meet so many new faces recently and reconnect with people who have been at Peace Church for a long time. It's, it is a great time to be at Peace Church and to be part of the Peace Church family. Today we get to start our Easter sermon series. This is a sermon series that will lead up to Easter Sunday. We're going to look at the trial and the triumph of Jesus Christ. We're going to just walk through his court proceedings, his trial and his punishment, his torture, and of course his crucifixion resulting in his resurrection. Today we're going to start off by looking at Jesus' arrest. That's going to be on uh, Matthew 26 is where we're going to be at today. I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. Go ahead and head there now. As you are turning there, let me just start off by asking this. What does it take to prove who you truly are? I'm let that one set for a second. What does it take to prove who you truly, really are? What has to happen for that to be known? Is it shown through a consistency throughout your entire life? Just what are the most consistent factors about you? Is it shown when a building is on fire and you choose to rush in to save someone or you don't? Are you proved who you are by simply declaring it to the world? Is it genetics? Is it what you feel inside? Is it what you put on your social media? Are you proved who you truly are by showing the world your computer's search history? Are you proved to be who you truly are by the consensus of a jury after a trial? Does that show the world who you truly are? Is who you are summed up in the worst thing that you've ever done? Or is it summed up in the best thing you've ever done? What does it take to prove who you truly are? Over the arc of your life, what are the attributes that are the most consistent, but also what are the things that are evident when hardship and intensity Come, how do you respond to that? See, for scripture, who we truly are boils down to basically these two fundamental truths. First, we are people, every single one of us, people made in the image of God. But an equally true reality for us is this, is that we are all, every single one of us, corrupted by sin. Every single one of us. We are people who are broken, people who are lost, Every single one of us has a heart inclined towards sin. Here's one way we can know this, is that we, I know this to be true for basically everyone I've ever met. We judge ourselves by the best of who we are, but we judge others by the worst of who they are. Right? This is what we do. We judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our good intentions. Imagine if that was flip-flopped. What would the world be like? Again, I ask you, when you look at the arc of your life, what is there? When you are faced with truly intense moments, like a trial, what becomes evident about who you are? When you are refined by fire, what does it reveal? Today, I want to look at one of the most intense moments for Jesus, his arrest. And I want you to know that as we 
read this passage, as we read this story of Jesus being arrested, this comes after his entire life, his 30 plus years of being so truly consistent, completely faithful to God throughout his entire life, completely committed to the truth, completely loving towards his neighbor. And in his final hours, we see Jesus arrested. And Jesus knows that his arrest, if he stays faithful to his mission, it will result in his execution. And so Jesus' life of consistency is about to be refined through fire. Let's see if Jesus proves true. We're going to read Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 to 68. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Otherwise, it'll be up here on the screen as I read. Follow along. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came with a great crowd of swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with them, uh, and behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Verse 52. But Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But then how should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered and Peter was following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And they slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now this is God's word, everyone. Harsh Hard story, but this is the word of God. And if I could wrap up today's message in just one 
primary point, here's what I'd say to you. Jesus proves true. There's much more I could say, and I could give you a much longer main point statement. But I think if we grasp truly in our hearts these three words, we'd be doing well. So let's do this. Let's pray, and then let's see how awesome Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that as we see this story from the life of Christ, that we see his promises kept, we see a leader stand strong, we see a savior prove true. And so we ask that by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts to hear and to receive your message, that by this you'd be glorified in our lives as we experience more of you. And we pray these things in the most precious and the most perfect and the most powerful name there is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. So in this passage, we see things begin to intensify as Jesus is roughly somewhere in the range of 12 hours away from his death, from his crucifixion. And if there was ever a time for Jesus to jump ship, if there was ever a time for Jesus to bail, if there was ever a time for him to get out of his mission and go on to live a happy, long life, this is that moment. But it's in this situation that Jesus proves true. So let's see how. First thing I'd have you know is this, is that Jesus proves true to his own teaching, even at its hardest. Okay, I know you know this phrase, so I want you to finish it for me. Ready? Practice what you... Yeah, we all know it. Did you know that 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 actually originated from Jesus himself? In Matthew 23, Jesus is talking about the the Pharisees, the religious leaders of of, of his day. He says, yeah, these religious holy people, they sit up on their high place and they tell people to do things that they themselves don't do. They preach, but they do not practice. And yet here we see Jesus practice exactly what he preached his entire life. Jesus told us to rely on the scripture. Jesus told us to love our enemies. Jesus told us that he had a mission that he alone could do. Some of Jesus' hardest teachings, we see him fulfill right here in this arrest. Judas, first, first said, if you notice, it first said one of the 12, and then he's called the betrayer. Judas stabs Jesus in the back, and he does not get angry with him. Someone who is there to falsely arrest Jesus has his ear cut off, and Jesus takes time to heal the man's ear. Jesus truly loved his enemies. Jesus relies on scripture. Twice in this passage, twice in just this passage, he says that all of this is happening so that the scriptures might be fulfilled because Jesus was not going to go back on the word of God. Jesus clung to the Bible. Jesus also reminds them that he taught day after day. And it's like he's saying to them, I sat there in the streets in the temple teaching day after day, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done? But, but Jesus submits to what is happening because he came to save the world and this is part of how he's going to do it. Jesus laid down his life and he laid down his rights. Jesus went willingly with the soldiers who came in force. And this should remind us that what's popular among the crowds and what comes in brute force cannot thwart the will of God. In his arrest, we see Jesus stand true to some of his hardest teachings, but we also see Jesus prove true to his own mission, even in the face of desertion. 
when it is clear that Jesus is being arrested and there is no going back, did you see what happens? Jesus says this. He says, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus is arrested and his disciples leave. And he is left to face his trial all alone. And the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Jesus, standing there alone, Jesus faced an onslaught of lies against them, and he stood there and he took it for you and for me. He stood there, lies being thrown at him after everyone had left him, and he stood there and he took it for us. Church, I know that you see it. I know that when you look out in the world, you see it too. The world is turning. And if you haven't felt it, if you are a follower of Christ, you will soon feel it. That There's going to be times where you feel like the only one. If you are truly pursuing Christ in this world, you are going to come to a point. You either have or you will very soon where you're going to feel like you are the only one. And this is why it is so important. It is so critical. I would say now more than ever in at least in American history that we need to stay together. We need to stick together. We need to sacrifice for each other. So that even when we stand alone, we know that we can stand as one. So that even when we feel like we're the only ones, we know that we are not. So let's show up to packed church services so that we know and can be reminded on a regular basis, at least a weekly basis, we can be reminded that the people of God are strong and we are unified. And so when we look to Jesus who was deserted, let's not do that to each other. This is why me and Pastor John and all of our pastors and our elders, we get up here and we, we say, we're doing everything we can to make sure there's room so that when you come, you can rem be reminded God's doing a work amongst his people. So stay committed. Stay committed to serving at church. Stay committed to giving to the mission of the church. Stay committed to loving others of this church. Let's lay aside our preferences and let's seek to show the world that we are willing to sacrifice for each other, that the church is a great place to be, a, to be and the people of God are a great thing to be a part of. This, this is not a testimony when we're fighting about the carpet color. By the way, I like the carpet color. I didn't choose it, but I like it. But when we show the world that we are committed to each other and that we're willing to sacrifice for each other and lay aside our preferences, that's a powerful testimony. And I'll tell you right now, there's still more work to be done in that area. Let's show the world that we're willing to follow a Savior who's building his church. And an amazing Savior he is. Why? Because Jesus proves true to his own identity, even when it means death. Let's look at this passage again. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he's uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You've heard his own blasphemy. What's your judgment? And they all answered, he deserves to die. If you were with us during our last sermon series, you'd be reminded that when Jesus talks about the son of man, he's speaking of himself. And even though it's the son of man, it's actually it's a, it's a claim to be divine. Don't miss what's happening here. This is the final moment for Jesus to bail. This is the final moment for him to get out of this. If, if he rejects their claims, he can go free, but he doesn't. He proves true. But what Caiaphas is doing, the high priest, what Caiaphas is doing here, it's so strategic. See, they all want Jesus dead, but Caiaphas knows that the Jews alone, while under the Roman occupation, the Jews alone do not have the authority to put Jesus to death. They have to appeal to Rome. They have to get Rome to consent to this. They have to get Rome to put him to death. Even when their own Jewish laws result in death. Caiaphas knows to see Jesus executed means he needs to get Jesus convicted of not just breaking a Jewish capital offense, but also a Roman one. And this is how he does it. Caiaphas says this. He says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. In this one question, Jesus, uh, Caiaphas is getting Jesus to admit to two capital offenses. You see, the word Christ here is just the Greek way to say the Jewish word, Messiah. It is literally the same word. For the Jews, the coming Messiah was to be an ordinary person that God would anoint and raise up, kind of like Moses. The Messiah was supposed to be a regular person that that God would raise up and anoint to bring the restoration of Israel and the overthrow of Rome. And leading a rebellion and an insurrection against Rome was a capital offense. But also claiming to be the son of God is a claim that the Jews say is blasphemy. Even though technically blasphemy is the misuse of God's name, but the claim to be the, uh, the son of God is a claim to divinity, which the Pharisees see as good enough to throw in as blasphemy, which would get Jesus the death penalty. So Caiaphas does it. Two birds, one stone. A capital offense against Rome and a capital offense against Jewish law. But did you notice Jesus' awkward answer? Look how Jesus responds to this. He says, Jesus said to him, you have said so. Now it's awkward in English and in the original language, it's just as awkward. But here's what I want to tell you. You need to put everything in context. Look at the fuller answer. You have said so, but I tell you, From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is an answer that clarifies the question. Let me try to explain. Now, imagine someone came to me and said, oh, Ryan, oh, you're the lead pastor. Oh, that means that you get paid to pray. Uh, There's a little bit more than that to it. I mean, do you notice how, like, I didn't say no and I didn't say yes but I'm trying, to sh- I'm trying to highlight how short-sighted of a question that is. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. When Jesus says, you have said so, it's like Jesus is saying, that's one way to put it, but let me give you a fuller answer. 
Jesus says, not only am I the Messiah and the Son of God, Jesus says, I am the coming Savior who comes with the power of heaven itself. You asked a question, but I will give you a better and a fuller answer. And the high priest shows just how shocking of an answer this is. Then the high priest tore his robes and says, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You know, I think if I, if I translated this passage, I think maybe a more appropriate way would be to say, and then the high priest freaked out. Because the high priest knows exactly what Jesus just said. This was not a non-answer from Jesus. Jesus was giving the most definitive, clarifying, profound answer to the question, are you the son of God? He said, oh, I'm gonna answer just more than yes to that question. Let me tell you what that's gonna look like. And the high priest says, we have our answer. Death. So you ask me why you should follow Jesus. You should follow Jesus because he proves true to his own teachings, even at its hardest. He proves true to his own mission, even in the face of desertion. And he proves true to his own identity, even when it means death. And because Jesus proves true, here's what I'd leave you with. You have a savior you can trust. When put to the test, we may show some great, some great qualities of our life. I look before me and I see a church. I know many faces here and I could tell you many great qualities about the people I see before me. But in the end, when truly put to the test, when all of our life is laid bare, it will become evident to all how all of us have fallen short. No matter how true you prove yourself to be, you will prove to be imperfect, but not Jesus. Jesus proves true every step of the way. See, we live in a world where our leaders, our politicians, and yes, even our pastors can let us down. Either in moral character or their professional roles, I'm here to tell you right now, I am not a perfect pastor. I'm going to let you down at times. I'm going to make decisions you don't agree with at times. I'm not a perfect pastor. Don't hinge your faith on me whatsoever. Hinge it on the guy that I'm talking about because he will not let you down. Jesus proves true. So you have a savior you can trust with all your life for your whole life. Jesus Christ was condemned and convicted of the crime of blasphemy and he was sentenced to death. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna see how these next 12 hours of Jesus' life plays out through his punishment and through his execution. But Jesus already had told his disciples exactly how this is gonna play out. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus says this, he says, he said to the disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Did you catch this? Jesus said, you're all going to fall away, which they did. But he says, don't worry. After I am raised up, we'll meet again in Galilee and we'll pick up where we left off. Now, if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like, wait, 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 what? You're going to raise up like from the dead? But if you look at the scriptures, Jesus has been saying this his entire life. From start to finish, Jesus said his death must happen and that he will raise up from the dead. And the plan of salvation so that we don't have to go to hell, so that we can be with the Father in heaven forever. The plan of salvation was put into motion and Jesus was going to see it through. His crime of blasphemy turned out to be the blatant truth. 
His death penalty was turned into the greatest victory in all of human history. And Jesus, the man that they tried to silence, went on to have the most influential voice of all time. There is no putting Jesus down. Everything he did was to the will of God, for the glory of God, and for our joy and salvation. And because of this, we have a Savior that we can put our trust in. Because he triumphs when he proves true to his word, true to his calling, and true to who he is. We have a Savior that we can put our trust in. Why? Because Jesus proves true. Amen. Would you please stand and let's, let's pray and let's worship. Please stand, please pray with me. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that we have a reigning king who sits on the throne, a king who reigns in power and will return in power. And Lord Christ, you prove true. And so as we sing of your praises, of your triumph, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would fill us with your power, that our praises would reach the heavens and for all the world to hear. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, King Jesus, for proving to be who you are, our Lord, God, Savior, and our King. And it's in your name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's worship Jesus together.